If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. Here we are again. And today, do we have a treat for you? I am overjoyed to introduce my sister girlfriend, fellow trailblazing activist and co-founder and chief creative officer, of Color Farm Media. Erica Alexander is known for her powerful acting prowess, but she is also a force to be reckoned with within the media industry, from an actress to an activist and full-fledged business woman, baby, bringing the heat. I cannot tell you what a ride this is going to be. So here we are with Erica Alexander the Great herself. Now, I must tell you, throughout this interview, 
Sister Turner was having some work done inside my house. So just in case you might hear some drilling or some hammers banging every now and then. But what is banging the most, baby, is this interview. Let's go. It's good to see you, Sita Tanina. How are you? And it's Alexander. It's wonderful to see you always. Alex the Great. Yeah, Max. Yeah, well, well, I'm Alexander the Great because I put that on every paper growing up. Because I heard about Alexander the Great. Yeah, my mother got a, um, when she went in for parent teacher nights, they said, you know, Erica signs her name, Erica Alexander the Great. And she goes, so what's wrong with that? And she goes, well, you know, she goes, if that's what she believes, that's what she believes. My mother was so sweet naive. She defended me all the time. And um, um, it was good in a way because I wasn't doing it to be harmful. I just thought it was a fun thing to put after my name. I didn't know then that I could have been a rapper with that kind of attitude. <laughs> That's right. They changed, right? They big themselves up all the time. Yeah, they renamed themselves. No, I love that. I love that about your mom, too. And the fact that you had that that kind of innate, it just came to you honest. I am Erica Alexander <laughs> the Great. Yeah, baby. Recognize right now. Recognize <laughs> right now. Recognize. Yeah. Recognize. I'm going to catch up with that. <laughs> I know because I got to ask you a question. Do you think and I really believe this now, having grown up, that some of those little extra seeds or unique seeds they plant in children? I don't have children. Sort of are markers for what the child can achieve. Do you feel like somebody did that for you? I do. I do. Alexander the Great. No, I really do. I mean, especially. All children need that, but I would say especially black children need that because the world reminds us or tries to, not tries, does tell us that we're inadequate in every way. Even if it's a subliminal messages, it may not be overt, it may be covert. At times it is very covert and other times it's overt. Even from the type of TV shows that are put forward or the people who are on the covers of magazines, for me being a, a Gen Xer, there were not a lot of images of me, of black women. That's number one. And then two, dark skin, more chocolate side of mm-hmm. blackness. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get, I got messages both directly and indirectly that because of my extra chocolateness, I was not as attractive uh, because I didn't have good hair. Yeah. So those messages matter. And my mother was what you would call a yellow bone, red bone, she was called. But my mother, saw that I had a color complex and she tried to do everything mm. she could to instill in me that I am beautiful. But, you know, your peers, you got to go to school. You're bombarded with those messages. But my mother would always say to me, the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. So let's talk about that. I mean, we didn't plan this, but let's have this yeah. conversation. That's real. Yeah, that's real. Well, um, the reason I think so is because when I, I grew up in Arizona and the mountains of Arizona, and both of my parents uh, were orphans. I spent the first 11 years of my life in a hotel called Starlight off of Route 66. Yeah. And I think that my mother, with me, did something that, I don't know if she did it with the other children. It's not that she didn't, but she said, I can't, when I was born, I had a big head. And she, was a, she said, you were lopsided, Erica. She said, I always was afraid that when you started to walk, you might tip over. <laughs> yeah. So she started to implant things in me by the time that I could go to preschool, she'd given me this little um, mantra that she said, if anybody says anything about your head, tell them lots of brains, lots of smarts, and lots of sweetness. 
And I was like, okay, ain't nobody say nothing about my head in preschool. How about that? I mean, I was like, I was all ready for him and nobody said anything. But she had done that so often to sort of inure me and give me armor. By the time I got there, I was a little like, you know what I mean, coming at you. And I wasn't arrogant. It's just that I was prepared for something that they could say about me like you. Um, I was dark skinned. I had, you know, nappy hair, whatever you would call it now. People calling it all sorts of, I had C4 hair, 7'5 hair. I'm like, I'm like, seven, five. I'm like, I had, look, I had hair when you washed it, it was, you know. And um, I think it prepared me because a lot of things happened to me in school that I wasn't prepared for, that she probably couldn't talk to me about. Yeah. That I you want to share dismissed. any? Well, sure. People wouldn't yeah. play with me. Uh, they yeah. would pick teams and you wouldn't be on them. I was very physically proficient, so there was no reason why, but you'd be the last one to be picked. I mean, it was all white, Navajo, Hopi, and Mexican school. And um, we were the only black family for a very long time. So it was very difficult sometimes to have to always represent for blackness in an, uh, sort of mostly pale context. Because you know, there were brown people there, but beside the Indians who were Hopi and Navajo, the indigenous tribes, the, the Mexicans often treated us like they were as white and European as everybody else. <laughs> and that was the, the case. So I think that when she gave me that type of armor and at least she gave me permission to answer back, I think that was it. To say, if anyone says something to you, say this to them. And by the time we moved eventually, because my father was a Church of God in Christ Pentecostal preacher and, the, and also Baptist, but he was itinerant. And the German Lutherans, I say they sponsored him. They thought he was amazing. It was the 70s. It's just after the 60s and all that dying and, and uh, chaos. They said, you know, you could be a Lutheran pastor, which was a big deal because she, he didn't have health care. He didn't have a um, consistent wage. He was a tipped wage worker, in effect, um, you know, past the plate. And whatever yeah. we got, we got. He could do a whole few weeks of revival preaching and only get $60 at the end of it, having been there wow. all day and night from, you know, Thursday and through Sunday on. And that's how we lived. So we dumpster dived, we did whatever we could. I was at least five walking around asking to sweep the porch or take out the trash and get a little pocket money and get a quarter or 50 cents. And then, you know, that's pretty rough. And he had heart problems and had had a first his first heart attack at 35. So when the Lutheran church took him up and they offered to make him a Lutheran pastor, they sent him to first upstate New York to be an associate pastor. Then they sent him to Philadelphia to be in the Lutheran Theological Seminary. Then I got a different thing. Going back to now what you originally wanted us to talk about with that was suddenly people were telling me I was young, gifted, and Black. Right. And I had never heard that before. I had yeah. never heard that we had a national Negro anthem. Uh, sure. lift every voice. Everybody, they said, stand up and sing it. And I was in seventh grade and I said, what? I'm looking around like, and everyone knows this song and I don't. So I feel like the more armor we give black children, the more we're trying to answer some of the things and the questions or some of the challenges they'll have. And they won't even know they'll have some of that cushion. But I just wanted to talk to you about it because you, you, you fight for human rights. You fight for um, civil rights. And you're a woman who fights for women's rights, uh, black, white, or otherwise. And, and um, you're such a powerful voice. It made me wonder what gives you the armor 
Oh, well, you are a fighter in your own right, and I really do appreciate that. And I think a lot of people are going to benefit from us having this open, honest discussion about some aspects of blackness and different experiences. And your experience, I'm, I'm so enthralled. Like I could listen to you talk about your childhood and how you grew up. And I want to go back to something that you said about your experience. And you made reference to a certain group that you were around growing up who um, I think comported themselves as if they were superior. Well, I, I don't want to blanket them all, but yes, Mexican inside of Arizona, often they would, um, they were like the new white people. They would the new white, uh, yeah. use their you know, listen, they had been there for hundreds of years. You know what I'm saying? Right. They weren't new. And uh, yeah. a lot of them owned some of the more prominent businesses, construction and all these things and worked inside of there. And they didn't want to be hooked up next to, let's be honest, niggers. We were seen as niggers. And, and I thought they were down because they were brown. Sure. Brown ain't always down. Brown is not always down. Yeah. No, you're right. And we need to work on that. But we I do. was also asking you, what made, gave you your armor? Because you have a very powerful person. And who gave it to you? Where do you think it came from? We, is it DNA? What? No, not. Maybe, you know, you know how in school we learned a lot about nature, nurture. I think it's a little bit of both of those things. That there is something innate in me from nature. But it was also nurture, too. I'm having a very strong grandmother. Hearing you talk about your mother, even though my mother instilled things in me, my grandmother had the greatest impact on me, my mother's mother. You too, I mean, the same thing. I mean, your mother lay in that armor, my mother laid armor, then my grandmother laid armor as well as best that they could, but we still had to bump up against the world. And the whole dynamics around BIPOC, you know, uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, we do have to have more conversations. That's why I kind of went back to that, because I think people just automatically assume that when we're talking about racism and bigotry, that we're always talking about white supremacy. White supremacy is certainly the foundational point. There is, however, an anti-Blackness thread that others can pick up too. And yeah, brown is not always down. You know, I, I went through my own kind of struggle um, when I was leading our revolution and I won't go totally into it, but, you know, it was definitely uh, attacked and maligned by people who were not white, you know, who really tried to take me out. Um, they were, uh, you know, Hispanic and they, they definitely tried to take me out and destroy an organization that I worked so hard along with others who worked hard uh, that Senator Sanders had created after his 2016 campaign. And when I say tried to literally take me out and so we do, as a nation, have to understand the threads of white, white supremacy, obviously, and that all people of color or most people of color catch a certain type of hell because they're not white. And that white supremacy is the dominant culture of the United States of America. And, and I want to talk about your fight for reparations. And that's a painful thing for some to admit, because now they think we're not being patriotic. We're down in our. No, we're just telling you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But just because that is the reality today and it was the reality yesterday and 10 years ago, and 20 years ago and 100 years ago does not mean it has to be the reality moving forward. But we have to make a conscious effort to deconstruct our construction and to do a new thing with all the systems, political, economic, environmental, social, all of that. But it has to be deliberate. And we also must understand that there is an anti-blackness that other people come to this country or even if they were here for hundreds of years, you know, just like us, 
but it is how the divide and conquer system works. That if you mm. black get back, remember I heard that growing up, black get back, black stick around. That's right. That's right. You know, white, you all around. You know what I mean? I, it, right. Those things right. are real and people have to have a consciousness about it. And so to hear you talk, just even mention that just kind of took me back. And I do want people to know that as we are trying to better ourselves individually and our community, and our nation, we definitely got to keep in mind that the notion of anti-blackness is not does not always have to come at the hands of somebody that's white. Come on. Come on. Oh, my armor. Yeah. Nature nurture is a combination of having words like your mother spoke to you. My mother spoke to me and then also having a grandmother and then life experiences, right? We just toughen up, you know, we walking in there like I am Erica. (laughs) But you know what, Nina, I'm just realizing listening to you. And this is something that you have this effect that your great armor is your intellect and your knowledge and you have great oratorical skills. Anybody that hears you steps back and say, oh no, oh my God, I can't go next. I can't go next. Why, why, why'd y'all book me after her? Are you crazy? And the, uh, we, I see that it powered um, President Obama to the highest office in the world. And what's amazing is that with all of that for you, it's a threat coming from you. From him, he's, he's a, you know, presented and, but for you, it's a threat. I mean, and what do you think about that? Cause I find that fascinating. Since, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You really read me today. We having this, this whole little, <laughs> little sister, just get it on out. You know, in the black church, they would call that testimony. We are testifying <laughs> on this, on this episode of hello somebody. No, it's true. And I, and I faced it. I continue to face it in my career, but uh, Erica, as you supported my, I mean, we have been supportive of one another ever since the creator or the universe brought us together. My la- mm-hmm. my run for Congress, you were right there with me. And absolutely mm-hmm. what was used against me is, is my strength. You know, the fact that mm-hmm. I do tell the truth. I speak a certain type of truth. That'll make me perfect, but I call mm-hmm. it like I see it because I care so deeply for our people and other poor people by extension. And it hurts. It makes me ache. And so I just, I can't stomach telling a half truth just to placate some folks who got power and money who are never going to, I won't say never suffer because there is a a notion of human suffering, but who who will suffer less because they have the economic and social and political capital to uh, minimize their suffering. And I do. I get penalized for it. I got penalized for it in this race, uh, you know, definitely labeled as not being loyal enough, uh, not worshiping at the feet of uh, requisite Democratic leaders. And which I've had to say time and time, sister, I don't worship any man or woman. And I mean that I worship God and I serve the people. And we come from a people who had to have the intestinal fortitude at times throughout our collective journey to stand up against the status quo and to say, come hell or high water. I am going to tell the truth Mm. that you enslaved me. I am going to tell the truth that you took away my name, my religion, my language. I am going to tell the truth that you branded me. I am going to tell the truth that even after the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments to the constitution, that the system still found a way to make me and mine second-class citizens. I'm going to tell the truth. Mm. And there is a consequence. Dr. West says this Erica all the time, that there is a consequence for being a truth teller. 
I'm not the first and I won't be the You're last. You're a marked woman. You're a marked woman. I am a There's marked no woman. And I, I war with that. In, all in the a time. lot of good ways, like a tattoo on your heart, but yeah. also a target on your back. Yeah. It's it's heavy, you know, and sometimes even our people, meaning black people, don't get it either. But when I think about the great people who have come before us and even great people who live among us too. But you know, the the Sederna Truths, the Harriet Tubman's of the world, marked. Minister Michael Max, Mark, Dr. King, Mark, Rosa Park, Mark, Fannie Lou Hamer, Mark, T. Tom and Fortin, Mark, you know, Ida B. Wells, Barnett, who challenged this system on lynching and said, mm-hmm. y'all a damn lie. Black men ain't out there raping white women. That's just the excuse that y'all using to lynch uppity Negroes. Yeah. Lynching our people. She was marked. Mark. You know, I mean, we can name a whole host of our foremothers and forefathers who sit up against a system and told the truth about it. And they were marked. I never thought about it like that, Erica, but you're absolutely right. I'm definitely. Well, I do often because I think that. um, You're making me tear up a little bit. I want you to know. Oh, well, let me tell you something. I see you and I see. um, Don't need that. Because it's It's hard out there. It's hard. And I think the more brilliant and. Um, you're a battle cat. That's what I say. You're a battle cat. And I would have loved to see and, and will always, uh, be, a a supporter because I think that you're absolutely stunning and outstanding and people don't support strong women enough. Certainly not strong black women. They think, um, that you're a superwoman and that you, uh, got it. And I see you as being so vulnerable and so cushy and soft, all I'm gonna do is say, I wish I could put real barriers between the world and Nina. Yeah. So she could um, not have to feel what, you, what you're talking about, but also have to endure it. But you have to know, I see you, I see you. And um, all I can say is that we need, we need to find better ways of support and, and protection for you and people like you. Because we're wow. doing our, we're not, we're, we're not doing us the service we need. If people like you can't go forward, then we can't get the government that we deserve. Or we get the government we deserve, we don't, not, the, not the one that can serve. And That's that to it. me is, is problematic. And I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by you. And I think you're, well, I don't have the words. Well, I'm just saying, let me just say thank you. For, for well, thank you. You've, uh. Just edified my soul today, you know, on this journey. And it is good to be vulnerable because we're human. And you're right about the superwoman part. I mean, I, you know, my son said to me a long time ago, he said, Mama, every superhero needs a villain. And that that the truth, isn't that profound? Every superhero needs a villain. Just reminded me, we're going to bump up against many villains along the way. But that, you know, even superheroes have vulnerabilities. You know, they have. Uh, you know, they're, they're not a hundred percent impenetrable. And uh, so I don't necessarily mind being seen as a, a, a superhero source, but I'm still human, you know, I'm human. And uh, you are superheroes. It's exactly yeah, what superheroes no, I, are made of. You know, I, what's funny. Cause I write graphic novels and um, you always want your hero to attract the better, the hero, the bigger, the villain they attract. And so if you got a really killer villain, that means wow. that you're like you're, you're the superhero. You're the superhero. Wow, that's no, that's scrubs. profound. 
That's you that's profound. Scrubs. Don't get scrubs. Well, I I received that from both you and my son. And I want to talk about um, since you you're doing some really incredible things. I mean, you definitely have been on the reparations uh, front, really speaking that truth. Um, you and I co. Uh, authored a op-ed together that's many months ago now I think about three months ago it was in USA Today and we'll make sure that the link is in the show notes but what really and then I want to talk about the color sure. farm mission too sure. but sure. let's stay on reparations for a minute or two what attracted you to this portion of the black struggle and uh, what advice do you have for people to uh, get involved or to find out more information well, it goes a little bit to kind of talk about superheroes. My origin story, every hero has one. And I told you a little bit about being in Arizona and living uh, the first years of my life in a hotel called Starlight off of Route 66. If you live in a place where there's a clear dynamic between the have and the have nots and the who, coulda, shoulda, and oughtas. Yeah. Then you start thinking about the why is of it all. Now, here I am being, you know, turning my talk suddenly. I'm like, oh, 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 step back, Miss Turner. Okay. And I wondered why. Because my mother worked just as hard as everybody else. And at the time, she was a non traditional student and couldn't get loans and couldn't get help. And they sacrificed and did a lot of things, but there was just unfairness all over banking and all these things that we talk about. If you travel state to state, you experience all those things. And because my father was health was so bad, and if he hadn't gone into the Lutheran um, sort of ethos, he he wouldn't have had a way to go. And he's look at black people and say, "Gosh, we don't seem to have nothing." Because yeah. I'm then studying people who I had thought had something like Martin Luther King and find out that he had no money, he nothing, That's Malcolm right. X, nothing. They were nothing. all. I said, "What is this? How can we look ourselves in the face?" And not start to say, well, wait a minute, these people have given their lives and made the ultimate sacrifice. And my mother, who was adopted and abused and all these things, and my father, who was left by his mother on the street often, and she'd come find him and then take him away and then leave him again. And once he, she left him with a family who was Mexican so long, when he came, she came back, he didn't speak English anymore. And they wow. begged, they begged her, say, please leave Roberto. They said, leave, leave him with us. He's happy. And she took him anyway. And what is that? That we have such disconnected and dysfunctional things happening to us, even though we thrive. And as the 13% of the most um, talented creators and cultural makers in world history. And that's a fact. Yeah, that is a fact. But, we're, but we don't own nothing. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. We are making money for studios and record labels and all these places, but don't really own it in the end. So I started hearing about reparations. And frankly, when I, I think I, when I started the journey, I mistook reparations movement as a personal sort of admission or apology or payment or monetary or moral debt toward me and fellow African-Americans. But I was educated by people who understood it and who were committed or experts like you in a subject and saw that it was too limited. And they told me that the debt resides within the very fabric of America, the beautiful. She the shining sea. Mm. So it's, if it's inside the DNA, that means it's the government's debt to pay. Come on. And so how do we move the government? We demand redress. And how you do it, you do it the best way you can. I'm a film and television actress, um, Color Farm Media. 
I, we call ourselves the Motown of film, television, and tech. Go ahead. We're trying to give um, opportunity to voices who are marginalized, whether it's race, color, gender, geographically, all these things, ageism. And yes. when I find out that the best platform I had was my voice and my creative powers. And so I had gone on the uh, Breakfast Club in Charlemagne. He talked to me about the reparations documentary I was making with Whitney Dow, who's a white man. And we'd started on Juneteenth, 2019, and uh, at the Congress hearing with Sheila Jackson Lee, HR 40. And we kept going. And then this other story came out of Evanston, Illinois, with Robin Ruth Simmons, the alder woman who passed the first reparations bill in American in African-American history for our reparations. And we started that and we've been, we've been doing that, but he interviewed me early on and he called me out of blue and said, Queen, <laughs> you want to do a podcast <laughs> about reparations? And I said, yeah, I guess so. Sure. Why not? Okay. Come and do it on my uh, black, black effect. And that's exactly what went down. And suddenly at the top of the year, I had a voice. He was, they were like, Dolly was like, we need this to come out. We need it by uh, Black History Month. And so we rushed, 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 and rushed, and we did it. And so I'm doing the best I can with what I have. I feel like if I can educate people in the way I was educated and talk about it in an entertaining way, perhaps they can then understand it and move on. And that's Black and or white, because we need white ears for this. Black people, overall, a lot of them know. And some of them are misunderstand what it is. They think it's a handout. But I think that white ears are basically closed to it because they think, well, I wasn't there all the stuff they say, that was my ancestors and all that other stuff, um, and, and, and nonsense, as opposed to saying, no, this is a real harm that we did. And it continues and it's built throughout our DNA. It's in the structures and we need to address it. Otherwise, they will destroy themselves. If they do not pay, repay and redress this 13% who are the descendants of slaves, then as Reverend Barber says, in this third reconstruction, yes, they can count themselves out of the future. That's exactly right. And no matter our individual successes, there is a debt that is owed to help us get. We're not talking about income gap. We're talking about a generational wealth gap that cannot be filled by a few black people owning businesses. We will never be able to own enough businesses to to deal with the injustice, the stain on this country of having hundreds of years of free labor at the hands of our ancestors. Um, they owe. I mean, this country owes us. And I'm so happy that you are in this space and to talk about Charlotte. That's the reason why I'm here. That's the reason why I hello somebody is on the black effect network. And he, yes. you know what? Now I'm thinking I was the only queen. No, I'm, I'm serious. So queen, everybody's <laughs> the queen. That's him. No, love it. No, we got to have multiple Queens. He make, he make you feel like you're the only one. <laughs> you know what? He, he's got a queendom and queendom comes. Yes. His word. That's a queendom. Come. <laughs> Charlemagne has a queendom. He's lifting black women, but then to me, he figured it out. He said, that's the core. That's how we survive. If we don't lift them, if we don't give them the opportunities. Here I am in the business 36 years. And I didn't have the opportunity that he had. He said, Erica, would you do that here? So we help each other build, but he doesn't know that there was no other brother calling me out saying that. Right. White and or black. Yeah. The fact that he gives money to South Carolina nursing school, boom, that yeah. type of thing. He's telling people like you so accomplished and so worthy, but not only that, so adept and you know your thing. As far as I'm concerned, the secret sauce in him is understanding that black women are the pillar of American society. 
And if at their core, we don't support and nurture them, then what are, who are we? That's right. And he acts on it. Like he uses his platform. He, he didn't have to use his platform to do what he's, what he did for you doing with you doing with me and so many others, but he does so many people have their platform and they keep it all to themselves. And I am so grateful that God brought him into both of our lives. I am so happy for his successes. I mean, he's doing the daggone thing on his new show right now. Just really um, unpeeling the veil on, uh, on uh, racism and white supremacy on the uh, comedy. I never heard crackers said so many times on TV in my life. I was like, oh, brother, I have to go get (laughs) you some for them crackers he doing it he doing it oh my god oh my god just love him so much and uh yeah we every chance i get we i gotta shout him out uh, because he doesn't have to be doing what he's doing all right so there we were cruising through the new open air zoo when i realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes luckily we were in my nissan road with its powerful DC turbo engine? Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-negative NBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. So Color Farm, mis- your, your mission, and you talk about your, this production company, the Motown of, of that. But, uh, you know, from the mission, I just want to share this with the people who are on this listening journey with us right now, that Color Farm's mission is to build an ecosystem. I'm going to underscore that. An ecosystem that fosters greater equity, inclusion, and diversity in media, and that empowers and elevates voices who are underrepresented, overlooked, and undervalued. Now, to, that's just a portion of the mission. But just even saying those words out loud reminds me of who you are and how you're bringing your whole self to what you do in the world. Thank you. Like I mentioned, I've been in the business for 36 years. Since I was 14 years old, I was discovered in a basement theater in Philadelphia called Freedom Theater. 
funny that she yeah. called that. New Freedom yes. Theater. Johnny Allen had made a model like Barry Gordy, but for children. He wanted to teach us the performing arts as a way to give us armor, to show us our bodies, to show us the power of communication, to show us the power of, of creativity. And the movie came to town in the fifth week of a six week of this program. My mother would give one of us a chance each summer to take a um, uh, extracurricular activity. It was my turn and I was in that program. And this movie in Merchant Ivory film called My Little Girl came to town and they needed black girls and uh, brown girls, basically girls of color to audition for a part in the movie. And I showed up at 5.30 in the morning, was second in line. And there were hundreds of girls going around the block from the tri-state area. And uh, after several auditions, including four screen tests and weeks and weeks, they gave me the role. They gave me the lead role. And it started my career. I got suddenly healthcare because I had a SAG card. It was a SAG card. I was in the union. And um, I had a, a, a path to go on. One of the casting directors, Pat Golden, and Elena DeSantos, who was her associate casting director, called my mother and said, we think that Erica could have a career in this. We want to give her, get her a legitimate agent. So my mother said, sure, as long as it doesn't disrupt her schoolwork. I was going to the Philadelphia High School for Girls and education was the biggest thing in my mother's blueprint for us. And um, they said, don't worry, we won't. And they got me a legitimate agent in New York. And my mother met with them once and said, no smut. And she does her homework. And they said, yes, ma'am. And she went back to Philly. She was, she had six kids. She had three jobs. She was taking care of a, a white woman at night as a caretaker and also worked inside of the, um, with special needs children in the day and also went to school to try to get her master's. So she never went on those sets with me. From 15 on, I had been yeah. going back and forth to New York. By yourself? By myself on the, on the New Jersey transit train. Been went back and forth on my own and um, did my auditions and also, also attended high school and then eventually went to, uh, got accepted to NYU. And in the second week of my NYU freshman year, the Royal Shakespeare Theater came to town with a nine hour play called the Mahabharata. It was Peter Brook, who's this huge European director. And I got that role. I asked my mother, I said, I'd have to drop out of school to do a world tour. And she said, you can get an education, but uh, seeing the world is its own education. And she said, yes. yes. And each time I got to give my mother props, she said yes. And then trusted me to take the journey around the world by myself at 17. And so I give her every, every prop. But then again, she does have an orphan story. Talk about a superwoman and superhero. Yeah. And she says yes to the world because in a way, I think she knows that for the most part, she won't be there with her children. So as the earlier they learn how to navigate the world and learn and be self-taught and be self-motivating and disciplined, uh, the more successful they'd be. And she certainly practiced that with me. I mean, she's a force. And, you know, talk about forces of nature. Sometimes we say that about people who don't necessarily deserve that. But your mother definitely a force of nature. What inspires you? You, Nina. You need no, it. I'm you serious. I'm serious. I actually am serious. I wish I uh, could say that I'm inspired by, I certainly am inspired by beauty. I'm inspired by order, discipline. I'm inspired by people who, who um, are dynamic, who change, who are able to change and adapt. No one's perfect. And I love that. 
I like to see people grow and have growth. I'm inspired by forces of nature, Miss Nina Turner, that's you, because it teaches us how we can be. Like when I'm playing these characters they give me, they say, well, is that you? And I said, those are the people who raised me. (laughs) I said, I went to an all girls high school and we had men and female instructors that told us that we should take a backseat to no one, especially no man. No, that's right. And so if you see me push forward, it's because they gave me permission and told me I had to. I am inspired by, uh, of course, the, the iconic people who we should be inspired by. As you mentioned a few of them earlier on, Queen Mother Moore in the reparations movement mm. and Callie House in the yes. reparations movement. Um, here lately, uh, a mentor of mine and a good friend, and we talk all the time, is uh, Reverend Barber, William Barber. I love him. Uh, of the Poor People's Campaign. I'm inspired by people who have dedicated and sacrificed a huge portion of their life, like you to take on and speak truth to power, but also take the slings and arrows. And you can see the marks on their body from incoming fire. Yeah. That's not me. That's not necessarily my path, but I do am asked often to play those roles. And um, if you see any of that strength in me, it comes from watching people, by the way, the people who raised me in the film and television business, in the film business. Um, Early on, I got to meet and work with Gloria Foster, uh, Latanya Richardson Jackson, CCH Pounder, Lorraine Toussaint. These are giants. I know we, we have a conversation going on about popularity versus impact. And I said, often the people who are most popular do not have much impact. You better preach. These people have tremendous impact. They were in the Negro theater in Harlem with Sham Jackson and all of these people doing color girls. and Those color girls taught me. I didn't go to school for acting. You know, Viola and Angie Bassett and uh, Ving Rames and Eric LaSalle and all these people, they went to Yale and they went to Juilliard and all those things. I'm self-taught and somebody picked me off the street. It never happens that they say you and suddenly you, you, it's called you're a natural. But there's nothing natural about acting at all. You have to learn it. And it's a technique. It's a skill. Yeah. How can you present yourself without walls and allow yourself to be motivated by someone else's experiences with your learned emotional bank and well? I'm telling stories that I haven't experienced, but I'm allowing myself to be emotionally accessible to them. Yeah, people have to suspend their disbelief. And that is what you as an actress in your profession, when people are absorbed by it, that that really is your market. They are suspending their disbelief in that moment that you become, you actually become that character, right? You have to become that character. Right. And they can only suspend disbelief if they believe you're telling a truth. That's it. Oh, my God. That And hey, listen, that is in acting. That is in real life. You know, when Shakespeare said all the world is a stage, baby, he was hitting on something on that because that is so true. I mean, now yeah. that we're on characters, I mean, you have been blessed to be in many films, many award winning TV shows. Living Single gave me life to see. So many black women from different walks of life, different sizes, different hues within the black rainbow. And I got to tell you, 
Erica, your character gave me, because I saw a darker skinned black woman, an attorney, very successful, quick witted. And you were the, you, you were the person that would tell the honest truth. Like even if it was painful, you just laid it out there. But <laughs> the entire cast, um, you know, Queen Latifah, Kim Fields, I mean, all of you all, just, just that whole, it, you guys were ahead of your time. Living single was ahead of its time. And oddly enough of its time, because at the time, Cosby Show had kicked open the door for so many other yes. people to come through. That's and we right. had different world who was telling a truth about HBCUs. That's right. And so we rode their wave into being single and being professional. And then after all the success of Fresh Prince and Martin and all these things, at 2000, what happened again? Racism so insidious came in and shut that door again. And we didn't have any real movement, even though we had a few shows that got in there until Shonda Rhimes again, had to lay it down so hard that he could not be denied. And I feel really frustrated that that continues to happen because it just shows that even in, they looked at at their bottom line, that they're making billions of dollars. They will say, nope, shut off that spout of great fortune to again, enact misfortune upon our people. Which is why we have to have your, I mean, production companies like yours. That's why it matters that we own and control some stuff on our own. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, women are proof of life and a version of organic sustainability. I mean, we talk about our ascension and we talk about um, how key we are, Black women, but it holds the promise of the new generation. It's the rebrowning of America that they're afraid of, the change in the guard. And that's threatening to some, but to me, I mean, that's how great societies thrive. They must have their best and brightest be at the fore. And we have saved America how many times? Time and time again. But I don't know if it's going to keep happening. Yeah, that's very profound. We're going to have to have a part two, a part three, a part four with that. She is truly the great. (laughs) Alexander the great. (laughs) You played a character on Queen Sugar that I just fell in love. This show, the vulnerability of that character that had some uh, mental health challenges. Queen Sugar itself, I'm hoping the people again who are on this listening journey with us, if you have not seen that show, you need to watch it. It is so, so beautiful. Uh, Ava DuVernay and Oprah Winfrey and so many others. And again, that is another show, elite 21st century version but another show that shows the rainbow of black beauty, the diversity of our experiences and that rawness that we bring. See, it's a certain kind of swag that black folks have that don't nobody else have. I'm sorry. That, that's a truth that got to be told. Everybody wants real. to emulate us all around the world. That swag comes through in Queen Sugar for me. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you played a character, again, that, who had some mental health uh, challenges. What so leads me to my next uh, question of all of the characters that you have played. Can you share with us maybe one or two characters that rise to the top in your mind and what lessons you may have learned from those characters? Sure. Uh, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law, is uh, one of the, I guess, the characters that makes my career. And I'm proud of her. And that's Living Single, just so people know. That's Living Single. Thank you. Living Single, she was created by Yvette Lee Bowser, who created the show. And um, according to Yvette, she is 
Max is her out of all the characters she created. And um, it stars Queen Latifah and Kim Coles and Kim Fields and T.C. Carson and John Hinton. And um, at the time, I was 23. I had started um, doing more comedy. I was mostly a drama kid growing up. And um, Bill Cosby created the part of Cousin Pam for me because I was told his wife, Camille Cosby, saw me off Broadway in a show, Joseph Papp's last play. Joseph Papp is the founder of the public, the public theater in New York. And he did his last play, it was Bill Gunn's last play to the great black playwright, Bill Gunn, The Forbidden City with Gloria Foster. Gloria Foster, one of the, the queens of Broadway and off-Broadway shows. And um, Camille Cosby was Gloria Foster's best friend and saw her in the show and said, you have to come see this girl and uh, Gloria and this girl. And I, I think that he never saw the show, but suddenly I get a call, could you be at Mr. Cosby's house? in an hour. This is after having auditioned for the Cosby show for years yes. <laughs> and not getting a role because they were the only game in town if you were black black yes. and young. That and ABC, you know, after school specials and maybe a slave or two or a prostitute, which by the way, had already played those roles. <laughs> that was the only thing you could get. And uh, he, right in front of my face, created the role of Cousin Pam. But when I was doing the Cosby show, I never thought it was that funny. I actually didn't understand the concept of a of uh, an audience and also a taped thing with the cameras. But sure. by the time I got to Living Single, and by the way, I had a great time on that show with Caramelina White and Al Payne, and, and that was the crew they gave me of very talented actors. But by the time I got to Living Single, I did understand it. And I could sort of understand how comedy worked and how I could, how I could hear it. I could always hear it, but I didn't know how necessarily to make it happen. But by that time, I'd put it all together. And so that's where you see it coming together. So, yes, Maxine Shaw is one of, uh, was one of those roles. I liked the roles I played in the Mahabharata. It was a nine-hour play. I played Madri and Hidimbi and the Rakshasi. For people who are, who are East Indian, they will know what that is. And I got to tour the world with Peter Brook and, Jean, and live in Jean-Claude Carrier's house in France, his pink mansion in um, Pigalle, which is a neighborhood at the time that was known for ladies of the night. I got all these experiences by playing these roles. And I got an opportunity to work with people who were about, I want to say in their own way, like you, Nina, they did things that were so disruptive that it often attracted people who wanted to attack them, but they withstood all that. And they became these real huge, I don't know, just change makers. And they, they, you, you could not deny them. So these are the people who train me. If you want to know they're in me, they're in me because I watched them do it. And yes. so I say to myself now, that's in your DNA. That means that's who you're supposed to be. It's not necessarily supposed to be easy and it's not for anyone. But with that mandate, then you know it's not easy, but it'll stand the test of time. And when you're gone, people will see it. When the ages are gone, they'll uncover it under the sands. It'll be there. Yeah. Uncover it under the sands. It will be there. Well, just as timeless as you are, Erica Alexander the Great. <laughs> Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share with us as we wrap? God knows I don't want to wrap. That's why you're going to have to come back. But is there anything else you want to share as we wrap this session of our conversation? my NFT line. Let me just tell you about it because with Color Farm and also Curio, which is um, a platform that makes 
NFTs and NFTs are non-fungible tokens and we don't have time to go up into that. We actually released a unique set of avatars and there are 7,000 of them. And we are the first branded line to do it. And we did it with my comic book and the graphic novel, Concrete Park. And so I'm really proud of it. And digital collectibles are things that people invest and trade in. And so I compare them to like limited edition art prints, like each numbered and signed and each one yes. has a digital fingerprint. But the, the reason I want to talk about it is because every generation of art undergoes a transformation. So if the Impressionists and the Cubists and Surrealists, they all, you know, challenge representational art. All those movements, canvases were in actual physical space, but now the canvas has moved into the digital artwork. And I'm glad that the future has arrived on a pixel because that means that more people can enter it. And so I think that we've had so much problems in the entertainment industry. We paid lip service to diversity hiring and development, but to actually address it, you have to reckon with that systemic bias and racist system that's in place. Well, this thing is creating outside of it and giving creators and artists a way to have direct engagement with their audiences without middlemen, without having and also a way to get residuals and payment in the future because it's tied within this encoded system. So I wanna just say that I'm glad that Concrete Park was able to make a little history, but it also means his history for people who have been marginalized and used by the system for years. And so we should start to engage in that area and not be afraid of it. Learn, 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 because any place can be difficult to navigate and you can have real shady people in it but there are more good people in it than bad. And I think that we need to talk more about the digital space and people who are doing tech. And we partnered, by the way, with Black Girls Code. And Black Girls Code is run by Kimberly Bryant. And uh, they get 10% of all our proceeds. And we're on Curio, on O-N-C-U-R-I-O.com if you want to go get an avatar from Comfy Park. And we call our line Bangers. They're the bangers. They're the bangers. So check that out. Check I'm going to have to go get me an avatar and be a Please, you, can, you don't need ETH to do it. You don't need a cryptocurrency. You could get it with a credit card. But okay. I'm really proud of it. And um, again, pushing into diff different spaces is what Color Farm is all about. And so we're glad to be in the front lines there. And how do people, for more information, how do people find you in the virtual world? I'm at, of course, in Instagram, Erica Alexander the Great. <laughs> of course. I'm at, on Twitter, E. Alex the Great. <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, Erica Alexander the Great. And I'm also very accessible. People see me on, on these mean streets all the time and they are my the wind beneath my wings. And I want to say thank you to all the people who've supported me over the years, who told me to keep going. I don't need awards. I don't need anything to be given love and to be told that it, may, it matters to them from people like Stacey Abrams and Ayanna Presley and Mayor de Blasio, who said they saw Maxine Shaw and it gave them encouragement to go into law, into politics, into leadership positions. For all the people who in the bank and wherever I travel, give me love and say, oh, I love you, make me laugh, you mean so much. Um, I appreciate what you're doing. Just know, we are creating Color Farm for you, but I am dedicating my life in service to my people. And my people are just not my brown and black people. They're all people who've been taking advantage of this system. And we are going to wreck it. And then we are going to rebuild it. 
I know that's right. All of us doing what we can, where we are in our places and spaces with the gifts that the creator has given us to shake and shape the world. That is what you do, Erica Alexander the Great. And you are great. You are beautiful. You are an intellectual juggernaut. And I am immensely glad that the universe that I call God, some people call the universe, but that the spirit forces brought us together. You are extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Coming. The pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush. We need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough is enough. Making changes on us. In Turner, her voice is the truth. Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end. Never give up. Keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end, now is your time. Stay firm, don't fold. To the A, all you need is the three bones. That's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all of here, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land, I swear. World peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.